My text this morning is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 through 23. As we end chapter 3, this marks um, the, more of a, the first agenda that Apostle Paul had in his letter. So let's put this in context of what we've been studying in light of this Paul's summary and recap. He does go on to talk about himself and more about his role in light of God's wisdom. He applies the wisdom to himself. But as far as the issue, the problem at hand, he brings to a recap and conclusion in some sense. So here's a recap. Paul, as soon as he greeted, and he goes into the practical problems of the church that he has heard, which is the divisions in the church. And chapter 1, verse 10 through 17, reveals that. And church was divided into four rival factions. Some will say, I belong to Paul. Some will say, I belong to Apollos. Some belong to Cephas, Peter and some of Christ. And Paul was very concerned about this issue. And as soon as he brings it up, he actually lets us in in a a root cause for this divisive spirit and divisions. And namely, this is number one problem of Corinthian church, and number one problem of the Californian church as well. Worldliness or carnality uh, in the flesh. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 through 3, 4. Chapter 2, 3, verse 4. Instead of becoming more like Christ and becoming concerned about what Christ values, Corinthian Christians brought their worldliness, worldly values, and worldly wisdom and way of thinking into the church. And in this sense, much of what's going on in Corinthian church is a reflection of what we see in our culture as well. In terms of worldliness, there are two symptoms, obvious symptoms in this division issue. So one is uh, pride and boasting in worldly wisdom. Corinth was bombarded with the Greek philosophies and rhetorics and speech. And Corinthian Christians had this idea of being boastful in worldly wisdom. Symptom number two, in terms of worldliness, is boasting in human leaders. Chapter 3, verse 5 through 17, and we've been actually reflecting on that. And Paul is basically saying, what is Paul and what is Apollos? God is the one actually grows, and he is responsible for true spirituality. 
So in light of this, Paul comes to a, a conclusion in some sense. So since the main root cause is worldliness, the question that we're going to ask this morning uh, through this text is, how do we move, shift from worldliness to godliness? Worldly perspective to godly perspective. There are actually four keys. The simple uh, text gives us actually Paul's main logic is two. Um, don't, boast, don't boast in yourself and don't boast in others. That's basic thing. But I think we, we will look at the intricacy of how Paul is presenting wisely uh, in this text by looking at the text through the four keys. Here's number one. First key. Don't deceive yourself by being wise in your own eyes. Verse 18 starts with this. Let no one deceive himself. How do you deceive yourself? If anyone among you thinks that he is or she is wise in this age. And Proverbs 3, 7 clarifies this for us. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And Proverbs says, fearing the Lord is the beginning of true wisdom. But is it true for all of us that self-deception is subtle? And it could be so nearby us, it blindspot us. Yes, it is. Because when you think about our world without God in the center, the more we understand, the more we become more self-confident. Especially when you have experiences of getting desired results yourself. So in so doing, what we become is exactly that. We become wise in our own eyes. What's wrong with that? Because the main thing Paul is going at this is this. Human wisdom is limit, limited. Human, limit, human wisdom actually is futile. Human wisdom can set yourself up. For failure. Human wisdom doesn't always come to the same conclusion. Why? Because the true reality of the universe is God, who is supernatural, not just natural, who is wiser and higher than human understanding and logic. So first thing that we need to realize in terms of moving from worldly perspective to godly perspective is this tendency. 
watch, we, need to, we ought to be watchful about our, our temptation and tendencies and slippery slope of this self-deception. When, when you think about this, um, you know, oftentimes without the radar of God's wisdom and God's hidden wisdom, we tend to think in terms of naturalism. And there is an input and there is an output. And the more we understand and the more we understand the cause and effect reasons. And it's natural, nothing supernatural in this. But when we are doing that, what we begin to forget is the true cause of all this is supernatural than natural. It is God. So be very careful when you feel that you got this. Especially when you're leading your family and you're financially doing well. Oh, we are just so many things are happening for our family, our, my career. Be very careful that you become blinded by your own self-pride. And arrogance. But when it comes to, I, I, I don't want us to, to get confused about this. There are practical things that we could learn in terms of uh, how to fix, um, you know, how to fix your vacuum machine or how, how do you, how, what, do I, what do I buy when it comes to the best brand for this? Um, those practical things that we, we need to go about, obviously there's nothing wrong with the finding right principles. The problem is we tend to have that, the small practical wisdoms, and apply to eternity. As if God doesn't exist. As if God is impotent. He can't do anything about it. So that's why God's wisdom opens a realm that we're blind spotted. It is arrogance for us to think that we're wise in our own eyes. So I want watch this. Key, key number two is actually flip side of key number one. I could actually put it together in some sense. And key number two is be a fool in the world so that you may become wise in Christ. Verse 18, 
Again, the, the, the latter side of verse 18. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, in this world, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Paul takes um, Old Testament passage just to, to back it up, and, and that is, this is not his personal opinion. From, one from Job and one from Psalm. And he basically presents in such a way that what could be full of holes when we are just grabbing hold of man's wisdom as if that's all in the world. Do you, do you get catch this? God catches the wise in their craftedness. You plan everything and you are wise, street wise in, the, in, the, in a way that you're practical. You got, you got this. And all of a sudden, God watches over like the rich man and Lazarus. Really. You, you set up everything for your happiness. And you're going to be drinking merry and be happy for the rest of your life. I will take your life tonight. And then what good is it? All these things happen. Or in some sense that you worked in social network and you, uh, in terms of diplomacy with your coworkers and your supervisors, let's say that you worked so much work on that. Next promotion is me. And there is an alpha factor, unknown supernatural factor. God somehow intervenes and takes someone else to be promoted. The same thing with our parenting. So we're so controlling and protective of our kids. And we, as if we could guarantee the results, how our kids will turn out. Especially when it comes to their salvation or Christian walk. Even if we do all the right things as a Christian parents, who holds the key? God holds the keys. Have you heard of these kind of stories that um, when you hear Boy and Cindy sent us an emergency prayer request that all three kids, kids are had foot poisoning and vomiting all night long, how miserable that is. And we begin to Im imagine the lack of the medical care, or cleanliness, or you know hygiene, or whatever that we have as a privilege of this living in America in a Western society, and to a point that's 
sometimes we think that, oh, they're not getting the right educations, good enough education. They're not getting right resources, enough resources. Now why, why would they want to do that? Sometimes we might think that. They're losing a lot. As a matter of fact, when Kate and I are, uh, were visiting Wade and Helen, back then, that city was far more remote. And these days, you know, Stan, comes, Stan and Jay come back and tell, tell, tell me that they're so much uh, modernized, even that city. And you, can't, you can't even recognize them. So imagine I'm sitting with Wade and Helen and, you know, and Teo and, and Kia running around and said, uh, I was thinking about my kids too. Don't you think they're miss a lot of uh, missing out on public schools? Not having friends enough? And then Wade smiled and said, well, Let's hear their answer directly. And, you know, Teo and Kia, do you guys you're missing out because you live in this city? And it's not a trained word. And Teo and Kia basically were so very thankful. We get to spend time with my, my dad, my, my mom. We're just very happy. It wasn't manufactured answer. They were genuinely happy. So in terms of our understanding, our wisdom, I think it's really critical for us to not only be aware of potential self-deception, but also become aware of greatness of God's wisdom and recklessly abandon ourselves to God. And that's what it means to, we are willing to be full in the eyes of the world. And in so doing, actually, we become wise in true reality, not just as some kind of a, you know, fourth dimension somewhere. But in true reality, we become wise in, in Christ. You know, Jay and Stan took their time, precious vacation time, went to East Asia. And I'm sure Jay has been asking us to pray for him this way. Pray that I could share the reasons why with, you know, my staff. It, it might not make sense. It's a foolish thing to do. You spend your energy and money and and your precious time away from your family, and not a not a Caribbean, you know, nice vacation resort, resort. But this city that doesn't have Starbucks, why would you want to go there? And you have to drive four or five hours of the bending road of this bus drive, five hours, six hours. Would you think about that? And some of us chosen right city, 
the safe city in the nation, the best school district. We do everything right in human wisdom. But do you factor in God's wisdom catching us? Do you honor him in the center and invite God as the supreme wisdom in your life? Are you willing to be a fool? I could go on and on about this. Taking a less paying job. In order to honor Christ. In order to to live godly life. In order to put God's center and your relationship with God is a top priority in your life. Are you willing to let go of your string, uh, tight grip on your children, letting go of the control, the potential dangers and risks that you might not watch over, hover over them all the time into God's hand? You see, where the river, the rubber meets the road is when we begin to sense, I'm not sure about this. Do I really trust in God's wisdom? Am I willing to put my entire weight in that? Otherwise, we become continually prideful. Anything that happens good is credit to our wisdom. Wise in our own eyes. And even in our church, leading our church, there are the, the best blessings that we have received are the ones that we were clueless. Including myself and my, our elders were clueless of what we are doing. But God how, somehow provided this. P- financial provisions. Worldly wisdom is like a magnet for pride and arrogance. God's wisdom is a magnet for humility and brokenness. Because we see ourselves as we are inside of God. That humility makes so much sense. Okay, watch this. Seven... They're going into the, the uh, verse, uh, verse 21. It takes another turn. Key number three. I'm sorry. Uh, key number three introduces another side of pride, another side of arrogance that is uh, a bit different. I would call it inverted pride. Because of putting and boasting in human leaders. But before we go on to that, David Wells, a theologian, rightly gives us a perspective. This, the comparison and contrasting difference between worldly wisdom 
and godly wisdom, God's wisdom. He writes, there are then two opposing ways of thinking about the world that can be found in the West today. The one belongs to those who have narrowed their perception solely to what is natural. The other belongs to those whose, whose understanding of the natural is framed by the supernatural. The one takes in no more than what the senses can glean. The other allows this, this accumulation of information to be informed by the reality of the transcendent. The one looks only to the shifting contents of human conscience, which differ from one individual to the next. The other holds the individual conscience up for comparison to the larger realms of meaning in which are rooted those things that are common to all human nature. The one acknowledges no ultimate certainties. The other places the highest value on ultimate certainties. All of these differences arise from the simple fact that the one perspective receives its meaning from God and the other does not. Christ's followers in today's world, much like the um, Corinthian church and Corinthian Christians, in our mouth we believe in the existence of God and greatness of God and wisdom of God, but when we continue to look our world, look at our world, in terms of worldly wisdom and natural realm only, the self-pride and arrogance set in. As I mentioned, key number three and four deals with the other side of the, the pride and arrogance. Key number three, don't boast in human leaders, boast only in the Lord. So let no one boast in men, verse 21. And 1 Corinthians 1.31, he already, Paul has already uh, expounded on this. And he, he's uh, quoting from Jeremiah, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boasting in the Lord is not just a boasting about a lot of things we have, and then at the end, they said, because of God. No, you could actually more plainly understand boasting about the Lord who gives us everything. Why is it important? Because boasting in leaders in a subtle way and give us glimpse of our insecurities and fear. We're not enough. We have so many lacks. We have so many fears and insecurities. So we attach to the people who are superior, who are famed, who are strong and gifted. And if we could equate ourselves with them, all our insecurities become irrelevant. 
That is why I call it a inverted pride. And Paul's actually going at this. The, his wisdom about going at this in two du- duplex level is just awesome. Because even in my own, own observation, not only in my life only, but also in so many situations of pastoral counseling, I've seen these kind of pride. The people who are so prideful could be very, very insecure. People who seem to exude with self-arrogance and confidence have so much fear. Oh, we shouldn't say that, you know, as a as someone out there who's always doing that. When we become prideful, when we become confident in our own knowledge, in our, our own ability to make things happen, there is a subtle pride because we, first of all, begin to compare ourselves to the one who are better. And the possibility of the people who haven't doing as well as we did, somehow they could take over. So there is a sense of territorial control and issues, rivals and jealousies. All those things can come in. And that's why Paul is saying, don't boast in man. Do you realize in order for us to move from worldliness to godliness, we need this, we need this resolve. Resolve to never boast in men. Never boast in our network. And pastors are worse at that, typically. Why? Because it's a subtle way of name dropping. Did you know uh, the other day that Larry Kreb and I were talking? You know, I, I know him personally. I want you to know that. And Gordon McDonald, when he was in my car. And some of you, those names mean nothing to you, <laughs> right? But you named your, your heroes and your personalities, the celebrities. And those of you who, who love golf, just imagine that, uh, you know, what's his name? <laughs> Tiger was in my you know, backyard. Tiger who? Oh, you know that guy, Tiger Woods? Did you know Bill Gates is somehow a you know, relative, kind of second cousin and cousin? <laughs> so, once again, watch this. The flip side of key number three is key number four. Know that all things are yours in Christ. 
Verse 21 again. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or, or the world, world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. Can you, can you think with me on this? When, when somebody's boasting about their leaders, they're lining up, trying to equate themselves, what kind of reason would you give? Don't boast in leaders. Don't boast in the people. Because you are not them. Because you are not in the same league. I would say things like that, right? Don't get confused. They're not them. You're not them. But Paul is saying is, don't boast in men because all things are yours in Christ. I think Paul saw this insecurity and fear. Do you remember the older son of prodigal, uh, parable of the prodigal son? When the younger son came and there was a party and dancing and, and fattened calf was served and he didn't want to, elder son didn't want to even go in. And said, uh, father comes out trying to, trying to convince to come in and, and celebrate with him, with the family. And he goes, I, all this time, I never disobeyed you. I worked night and day for you, but you've never given me even a little lamb to celebrate with my friends. Do you remember the father's words? My son, all I have is yours. All I have yours. You could have celebrate. You could continually celebrate, bring people over. And have a fattened cow. Because all I have is yours. Apostle Paul. In Romans 8. Said. The father who gave you his only son. For your ransom. Would he not give. Other good things to you. To the Corinthian Christians, and Paul is saying, there is no reason for fear and inferiority complex. Because everything belongs to you, and everything belongs to Christ, belongs to you. Because you belong to Christ. Isn't that amazing? Paul is not making this up. Paul is spelling out God's hidden wisdom to them and bring them to the reality. Even in our quiet time, we saw that because you did faithful things, you did these things faithfully in small things, and I'll give you this much more. You know what that means? There will be a time we will reign the new heavens and earth with Christ as a fellow heirs of Christ. 
of God, along with Christ. We get to reign with Christ. And everything belongs to God, belongs to Christ. Everything belongs to Christ, belongs to us. And backwards, we belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. And everything belongs to us. And that's powerful. I mean, just simply apply into our lives. First of all, there are times that I feel like I understand things very well. And even in terms of some, some of the gift things I have, I, I trust my intuitions. And if I do this, and this will come out. And building church is no exception. I've done this before, and I've, I've done this, I've seen the results thousands of times, and I'm going to do this, and I become subtly more prideful. In your case, it could be your career, it could be your parenting. We need to watch our, ourselves. Instead of God catches us, we need to catch ourselves in that pride, in that arrogance. The other side, inverted pride. There is a depressive side of my mood that comes from not having things. So I didn't plan things well, and I'm still in the, the things are up in the air that I, I am responsible to, to take our family at the end of August for family vacation. But um, some of the lack of planning, so some of the things didn't work out, things are still up in the air. And I feel like I don't have anything. I feel like those insecurities and fears. Because my situation is this way, woe is me. But if I begin to think about everything belongs to God, belongs to me, and then perspective changes. In the area, brothers and sisters, you are mourning and you are feeling self-pity about you. Bring this God's hidden wisdom to you. All things are yours. And we could become humbly confident in that. As for our church, we could, we could feeling uh, all bad about the smallness of a church. What can our church do? And the seasons of our life, where we have so many babies running around. Oh, what can we do even loving our neighbor beyond Crossway? Shall we become open and become expectant what God might do? And simple obedience and simple releasing of our becoming full in that sense and boy and Cindy are making a huge impact, doesn't it? Even in our, in our lives. 
So should we limit ourselves? In so doing, limit God because of our limitation? Absolutely not. Let's pray for God's side dream in this little church. Let's be watchful our arrogance about anything that we're doing right. And then there will be a freedom. There will be a joy that God brings. And may that joy be upon each one of you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this reminder for us. Yes, Lord, we could easily become prideful and arrogant. And so we deceive ourselves. As we repent from it, we pray that you will show us the tangible pathway that in which we need to obey. We surrender ourselves unreservedly, completely and fully to you. And we all pray also for in the areas that we feel depressed and low, insecure, and even jealous, we pray that you will open the hidden wisdom of God to us so we might be free. We might really know in our hearts that all things are ours. And thank you so much for God's wisdom revealed in Scripture and help us to value this wisdom daily as well. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.